Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. As part of my research into grief, I've come to know grief can be isolating and community is essential to explore, survive, and heal with grief. I co-facilitate the Pause, Breathe, Restore retreats along with wellness coach Erin Vanderkoy. We help people engage and move forward with grief in a safe, supportive, and healing community. Our next grief retreat will be held at the Oregon coast, October 3rd through 6th. Information about this retreat can be found at pausebreatherestore.com and in our show notes. Gratitude and Greatness explores our relationship with grief, the gratitude for our humanity, and the greatness we attain when we tell our stories. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. Our guest has experienced a great deal of loss, including her husband's unexpected death and the murder of her son. Raising a large family as a single mother Kim Dixon perseveres with her naturally warm and engaging personality. I speak with Kim about her experiences and her choice to forgive. It was unusual for my husband to ever be short of patience. And he had been downstairs because he wanted to come say hi to my dad. And the kids, you know, there was, you know, just a little bit of recusy. It wasn't unusual. It was our normal household vibe. I could tell he was getting a little bit agitated. I was like, what's going on with you? And anywho, I was like, you want to go back up to bed? He's like, yeah. And so I just figured he was tired. And so we made it up the first flight of stairs and he needed to take a break. He just felt really tired. And then he made it up the second flight and then I noticed he was sweating. Mm. You're sweating. Why are you sweating? Are you hot? And he just said, I just need to get back to bed. I was like, okay, okay just get on down the hallway. We go down to our room and he sits in my rocker and he just kind of flops down and he's like, I'm just so tired. And I said, you know, how about we go in? And we lived 45 minutes away from the city. He agreed. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna get your khakis. I'm just gonna throw your pants on real quick. And I got his pants and I said, okay, you got to help me out here. Because he had to go back down those stairs. (laughs) Well, he had to go back down those stairs. And plus, you know, he was just shy of (laughs) 6'3". I'm like, I need you to help me. You stand, I can hike him up real quick. I got those on and he kind of flopped back down in the chair and he looked at me and he smiled. And that was it. And from there, I'm yelling, call 911. I'm shouting at him. Mm. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? I start CPR. My dad comes running upstairs. And I'm like, we can't do CPR like this. And I yank him out of the chair. My dad is just looking at me because my husband wasn't a tiny guy. But you do what you got to do. We performed CPR. We had called 911. Right down the hill from us was the volunteer fire department. And they came and they did everything they could. And unbeknownst to all of us, My husband suffered from pulmonary embolisms. So he had a shower of embolisms release, Mm -hmm. not just one. And life became very different. 
And in an instant, you became a single mother of 10 children. At that time, we only had nine. Six were at home living with me. His parents were on their way out to come and visit. They had plans to come. And unfortunately, they came to their son's funeral. They were coming from Connecticut. Oh, wow. And they had never been out west before. So literally in that time frame, I go from being married to being single to balancing life that was now completely out of balance. I was thrust into a world of not understanding what a widow is. I mean, I had a mental model of a widow, right? A widow is somebody who's older, they've lived out their life, and they lost their life partner after many, many years. And they've grown together, and they've raised their children, and they've done all of these things in their life, and now they're in retirement. And at some point in time, way off in the future, perhaps one or the other gets sick. That was my mental model of what a widow is or was. And so the first time that I heard the term used towards me, I think I was at church and we we're talking about we need to help the widow. And I'm like, yes, we do. We absolutely do. And someone put their hand on me and they're like, Kim, they're talking about you. Why? For what? So I hadn't quite come to grips with being a single parent, wrestling with that label, no longer married. Am I married? No longer married. And then widowed. And just trying to wrap my head around all of that while I figured out what do we do next? So what did you do next? My father, bless his heart, I have images of him in my head. He was sweeping my floor in the kitchen. I don't know why that just touched me, but it really did. I mean, my father at the time lived in Washington. Home for him was a couple hours away. But just watching him pick up a broom and just sweep my kitchen floor, seeing the support of friends, people from my church, you know, who really wrapped their arms around my family. So many folks were in shock. This just doesn't happen. But yet it does, right? It does. But when it's happening, I mean, literally that day when Brad passed, I would guesstimate within two hours of his passing, the house was completely jam-packed full of people. Again, we live 45 minutes away from town. So that was a phenomenal feat. And it was my number four son who started making phone calls. Mm. That's how I came to have a full house. I attempted to make life as normal as possible. Part of that normal became something had to give. Yeah. And that something for me was cooking. Yeah, my husband and I used to cook together all the time. And so while I was trying to figure out life and balance kids, school, homework assignments, we had to move. A lot of the things that they tell you in grief books, don't do, don't make major decisions, we wound up having to do the exact opposite of what they said in the books. So while balancing all of that, I can tell you that during that first year, my kids became very familiar with Pad Thai, Papa Murphy's. There was a Chinese place that was near us, and so wonton soup was one of their favorites. I'm not saying that I never cooked, but as a regular routine, that went by the wayside that first year. You're responsible for so many people. Mm-hmm. How were you able to care for your family and care for yourself? At the time, I didn't realize that I needed to care for myself. It was about pushing forward. Okay, Kim, this is really the circumstance. Turn around, pat yourself on the back to let yourself know you're really here in this circumstance and waking up every day and realizing that he's no longer by my side. 
in my mind, it wasn't optional. I didn't have an option to fall apart. I didn't have an option to curl up in a ball. The only option was to move forward. Yeah. I got in the routine of making sure people ate <laughs> and that there was shelter. That was my routine for several years until I realized that I actually hadn't taken the time to grieve my husband no longer being here. Yeah. And so when I looked at the grief wheel steps, whichever yeah. one you want to call it, yeah. I'm like, well, I'm not in denial that he's not here, but have I actually taken the time to pause and sit in it to say, I'm mad, I'm hurt that he's not here? Then comes the acceptance. Knowing and understanding that I still celebrate him as a wonderful father to all of our kids. I celebrate him as the love that came into my life who taught me how to love myself, mm. which is beautiful, right? That's the gift. I celebrate him as being a best friend. Part of that celebration translates into having conversations with my children. Well, you know what your dad would say? Still infusing him in their lives. I love that. And taking his memory and bringing it forward into our present. So it's not just on June 24th, 2001, that we had this horrific trauma happen in our life. But I am able to remind my children of things that he would say and listen to their antics. I was always the practical one. He was the fun one in terms of mm -hmm. he loved toys. He loved the kids to have toys. He always wanted to have a toy store. He's the one that he would hide candy under their pillows. I'm the practical one. Can't have too much sugar. And how much, you know, food did you have before you had real food before you have the sugar? Yeah. Being able to share those things. What would dad think about this? How would he approach this if you all were to have a conversation? And it's not because you live your life for someone. You are looking at the influence that that person has. Yes, and it continues. Exactly. I love that. I mean, I told you I lost my mom when I was really young, and I felt like there was just always this sadness when her name came up. Mm -hmm. And so I love, this is what your dad would say, or this is what he would think about this. You honor him by continuing to remind your kids of that. I love that. And I remind my children, you're his legacy. Mm -hmm. You really are. Even though he's not physically here present with us, each of you have a part of him within you because of what he's imparted to you. This child has this of his and this child has... Absolutely. It's mind-boggling that sometimes I just, I have to do a double take. Okay. All right. That's fine. <laughs> I love it. We're curious to hear from our listeners. Do you have thoughts or reactions to something you heard in this episode? Or maybe you have an idea for grief, gratitude, and greatness and would like to share some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Links to contact us can be found in all the usual places. Or check the show notes. So you moved closer to the city center. Yeah, we moved out of the country and into the city and then eventually moved back over into Portland because we were on the Washington side. You created a quote unquote new normal for your family. You moved forward as a single mom with all these kids. Looking for a place to rent. I had two dogs 
as well. I remember calling on this place and I was really excited about it because it really sounded like it was a good fit based upon what I read. And so when I spoke with the owners, she said, who all do you have moving in? And I said, it's myself and my six kids. And she started laughing. And I sat on the phone because I was like, well, maybe she's having a different conversation also with somebody else. And then she finally says out loud, I believe to her husband, this lady has six kids and she wants to rent from us. And she just kept laughing. Oh my gosh. That's part of when I think it hit me that I was a single parent and that there was some sort of stigma in being a single parent because I had six kids. I don't know what she would have done if she had known I had nine altogether. So you obviously did not rent from this woman. I I did not. I had to call a friend and really process that because I felt like I was being discriminated against and in a very unwarranted way. She didn't know me from Adam. That's some big judgment. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But it could have taken me to a bad place because I was like, is that how it is? Is that how people see me? Is I'm this woman who has six kids and I'm somehow, am I irresponsible? Am I... Because that's what she was making me feel like. Like somehow I was irresponsible Mm. because I had six children. But she didn't know my story. She had no idea. And to me, she wasn't worthy of hearing my story. Right. That's tough. So I imagine that's just one of several examples of how challenging it was to create this new normal with your family. I never realized how much people do judge as a single parent. As a female single parent, and you have these children, the educational system, the judgments within the educational system, oh, you have all these kids. Surely there's issues with your children. I think it's really interesting that you said as a female single parent, Mm -hmm. because my dad, for example, as a single parent, Mm -hmm. I think he, he received a lot of sympathy. Not that a woman wouldn't. Motherhood what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. It's a normal. But for your dad, I could see that. I mean, we do and we should celebrate dads. Dads, single dads. But you've brought up, okay, so I have this other image in my head from Mm -hmm. earlier that you spoke of, of your dad sweeping the floors in your home. Mm -hmm. That was not a stereotypical role for a man of your father's generation. And I imagine that's why it evokes such a heartfelt feeling for you seeing your dad step in and do something that I don't know. I'm just guessing that yeah. probably wasn't like... It was his way of demonstrating his love. Yeah. And it spoke volumes because if anybody knows me, oh my gosh, if you clean up something, we're friends for life. <laughs> because that act of service is probably one of my love languages that just speaks mm. so much because it's the desire to do it all and you can't. So when someone steps in and does that thing for you... yeah. You bring me a cup of coffee. You hand it to me. What? Thank you. It's not because I can't do it, but you thought that much of me. To me, that's huge. So then I see the other side of it about all the judgment that comes in. I mean, and there's judgment there too, I think, right? About like what a man's role in the household versus... I'm just seeing it through that lens of being the child of a single dad and all that sympathy that I think went his way. Oh, you poor man. And I don't know that people weight it the same for a single mom. You know, now we understand a little bit more and there's more being said within ACES specifically about child adverse traumas, right? Yeah. And of course, you know, the loss of a parent has got to be number one. But even in that, as a now single parent, how your children are now looked at as if somehow they walk around with this 
amputated piece of themselves rather than seeing them as a whole person who's going or gone through something. And how can we support you to thrive even with this trauma that you have experienced? And how do you? You mean the system or how did I support my children? (laughs) Well, I genuinely believe the system needs some work. So that's why I'm asking, how did you help them to see that they were whole people rather than missing that part of them that's their dad? In our household, we are very open with our wounds, our woundedness, and as well as what's the treatment I tend to be very solution-orientated and not antiseptic about it, but to be able to really unpack and say, when I say, how are you today? I'm wanting to know about your you, yourself, your being, and how you were able to interact and navigate your world today. Mm. So those are the deep conversations that I've had with my kids. I love the fact that each and every one of my children are definitely critical thinkers. They think beyond their years and their circumstance, which sometimes drives adults crazy because they have a question like, why are we doing that? Why are we doing it this way? And the other piece is being an advocate for my children. I tell parents all the time, you know what? You know your child best. Whether you know it or not, you probably know their learning style. I have never been afraid to go in and turntables a bit. And especially when it comes to my children, and especially when it comes down to labeling people, to label my children, oh, they're probably behaving that way because, you know, well, you know, their home life. I'm like, you know what? Our home life is no different than anybody else's home life. We eat, we use plates, usually. Sometimes paper towels come out. The basics are the same. How we might do it could be different. But me being a single parent, let's let's expound on that. I'm a loving single parent who wanted each and every one of her children. And the fact that their father is no longer here with us has not changed any of those facts. Yeah. I still want each and every one of my children and I want them to thrive. And so When I wind up at their schools and I'm having a conversation with a teacher, with a principal, or if you need me, I can call the district office and see if they might be able to assist in this particular instance. I do that as well. And my children have seen me do that. No matter what we've been through in life, we don't use that as an excuse, but we will push a pause button if it's necessary. If one of my kids is late to school, it's not a big deal to me. Do they need the extra rest? I'd rather them have the extra rest. Yeah. And structure is beautiful. But I have anecdotally learned, and now I have also studied that when it comes down to when you have experienced deep trauma, I make space. Yeah. And part of that space is kids actually do need a lot of sleep. But there is also evidence that sometimes it's okay if we don't do things in the structured time that is provided. And sometimes we color outside of the box. And I think my children are better for having colored outside of the box. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. 
told your friends about us yet? Word of mouth is an important way for us to reach more listeners. So spread the word and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. You know, you said something else about making space and it reminds me, you know, one of the things I learned from my father about how to deal with trauma is not to make space. And I'm not saying this is healthy, but what I learned and I followed that example is keep yourself as busy as you possibly can. Don't give yourself time to think about it. Think about the sad things. Think about the trauma. And it took me a long time to realize how unhealthy that was. I'm not blaming my my dad. I think he did the best he could to cope. But yeah, I spent a lifetime making myself so busy. I'm so glad that you know how important it is to take that time. You know, my family's entered into what we call the wonky season. May and June are wonky for us. And I usually make some sort of announcement to all of them to remind them we've entered the season. Just be aware. Be aware that... You know, the sunlight might be just a little bit too bright for you one day. Just put on the sunglasses. People might annoy you. A simple little thing. And just having a heightened awareness. It's not so that the season rules you. It's so that you're prepared and you can navigate. 2001, my husband dies June 24th. 2009, my number four child, his best friend that was a son in my home, he dies May 29th, 2013, I have a bonus granddaughter. She dies, one years old, blunt force trauma. June 9th, 2013, my son is murdered. The ninth of every month, I don't know when I'll stop counting it, but I notice the ninth every single month. The ninth is also my mother passed away December 9th of 2013. So this is a season of very deep loss. Yeah. I know that we can all have what I call the subcurrent of feelings that could bubble forth. There's a lot of significance, especially in May and June. Mm -hmm. And so I like to make sure that my children are prepared and that they're aware of it. That's pretty amazing, your awareness around it. Gosh, I had such a different experience growing up where there was just no talking about it. We always went to visit my mother's grave on the anniversary of her passing. Yeah, that was heavy and mostly silent. A long drive Mm. in silence and a long drive home in silence. How can we celebrate those that we love when they're not here and also be okay with We notice they're not here and push forth celebration as opposed to sadness. We acknowledge that we're sad. We acknowledge that we miss them. So it's not about stuffing that feeling. I always like to make sure people understand that. My friends and they all know. I didn't realize how many people didn't know it was okay to talk to me. You can talk to me about anybody. My husband's not here. You can still talk about him. My son, we talk about them. We say their names. That's very important. And it doesn't mean that, oh, if I didn't think about you today, does that make me a bad person? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But let it come forth, you know, in this very organic way that, you know what? I'm thinking about you. 
Mike Mike is the one who passed in May of 2009, and my son Andreas is the one who was murdered in 2013. I know you've done a lot of personal work around forgiveness. Absolutely. Here's all this loss that's happened in your life. And they've all been surprises, right? And when I say surprise, meaning nobody was sickly. There was no anticipation of this could happen. Nobody was elderly where you go, yeah, it's around that time. The types of losses that I've had are the ones that they're outside of life cycle. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. You're born, you grow up, you learn to walk and talk, you hit your teens, you think you know everything. You know, that's that's part of the process, right, of growing up. And then you go off on adventure, whether it's trade school or working and all those things. And then you, maybe you get a life partner and maybe you have children of your own. But at some point in time, when you get old, we have this expectation. And so it was their time. When you have losses that are unexpected, when people haven't even hit 40 and they're gone, when you have children that leave this earth, it's outside of the cycle of life. And there's no manual for, I mean, we have grief books all over the place, but what do you do when it's outside of life cycle? And then what do you do when somebody takes your loved one's life, when they didn't have a choice. Like one human makes that decision. For you, exactly. It's not like a car accident. It's not like an illness. Somebody makes a choice to harm somebody. Yes. For my son, Andreas, the night that he was murdered, so many different things happening seemingly all at the same time on that night. I was in the middle of the street because I was waiting patiently to see my son because of course now we're at a crime scene and so all the pictures have to be taken and all of that so I said that's fine I understand that I've worked in the funeral industry I understand all of what you have to do but before my child before his body changes before he's no longer pliable I want to hold him that's what I want to do so I will wait till you take every picture you need to out here. So while in the street, I looked up and I had the question, why God? For sure in my head. I mean, I'm out here in the middle of the street, rationalizing with myself, this is what I want. But then I can ask the question, but it's not going to give me what I want, which is my son. Yeah. Which is when it became no longer, why God? To, I forgive you. I don't know who you are. I have no idea why you've done what you've done. And you have no idea the impact that you have just rippled out. But I forgive you. When I leave the scene, when I leave this street, you will not come with me. I will not take you in my head with me. You will not have power over me. I will grieve my son, that's true. But nobody is going to have the power to control what I'm thinking. So I released whomever in forgiveness. Damn, how did you do that? <laughs> I don't know how you did that. Because I knew that forgiveness was not a feeling. I knew that forgiveness was a decision. You decide to forgive. Your feelings will follow eventually. 
your decision. But I knew that forgiveness was an action to Mm. take. It wasn't a feeling when I feel like it. And I do hear people say that. And I don't argue their point. I simply say, I know it to be a decision. And it's a tough decision. It's not easy. I hit that ground a few times. But I knew it's what I had to do. I had to release forgiveness right there. Not once I got home, not once I went through the funeral. I needed to release it right there because I did not want anybody to have one second in my brain at all taking up space. That's a hell of a lot of wisdom that you had in that moment where a lot of people wouldn't be able to have that rationality to make that choice. I was laser focused on seeing my son. I had enough wherewithal to know that there was a tomorrow after that horrific day and another tomorrow and another tomorrow. I had a lifetime ahead of me. And where I didn't want to end up was in a corner, curled up, unable to articulate, too depressed to move. That's where I knew I didn't want to end up. And that's when I said, no one is going to have that kind of power over me. If you'd like to support our work with grief, gratitude, and greatness, consider becoming a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have a business that supports people who are listening to our show, let's talk about how you can sponsor an episode or two or three. I think when I first met you, you said something like forgiveness equals freedom. Yeah, I get to be free. A lot of times people think, well, if I forgive them, I'm just saying that they get to get away with it. No, you're not saying that. The wheels of justice continue to move. I will not live with a murder on my conscience. That's something that somebody else has to live with. I don't live with that on my conscience at all. That's not your action. That's someone else's. Exactly. Yeah. I just keep trying to make these decisions. You don't want to set the example, but you're setting a really awesome example for others of how to move forward. Well, what's the alternative? I mentioned being curled up in a ball. I mean, I'm sure any one of us may have had a gray day in our life. How many gray days can you handle? How many of those days? How much weight? of grayness to the point that it becomes black. Can you handle? There's no brains sitting on the shelf at Target, Walmart. (laughs) You can't just go pick up another one. So when you are no longer at a capacity that you can function in your day-to-day life, that's a really tough place to be. And I knew I didn't want to be there. Have you ever been there? Been in that place where you're like, I just don't want to come back here again. Yeah, the backed up in the corner. Yeah. Sure. When people want to ask you things about what color casket do you like and you want to throw the casket at them. (laughs) Yeah. And then you realize that that might not be socially acceptable. When you are in your shower and there's nobody else around and nobody can hold you, nobody can take any of this away from you. And your tears come faster than the water falling on your body. 
and you know you can't stay in this state of mind. You're feeling it right now, but you can't have days of this. And you have to decide for yourself and for those that you love around you. When you think of your loved one, when I thought of my husband, I knew what he would tell me as much as I didn't want to admit it. I knew what he would say. And it pissed me off that I knew what he would say. What would he say? (laughs) You have to keep going. I'll see you again. But you have to keep going right now. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to admit to that. I love that you shared the lessons that he would share with your kids, but you also have lessons for yourself from him too. Yeah. That's great. I do. Best friends do that to you. (laughs) Aww. I also love that you say he's your best friend. That's awesome. Every good relationship starts with a friendship. Every great relationship remains because of the friendship. You've taken all your experience and you do a lot of volunteer work. I volunteer because I'm of the notion that your title is not what makes you. So many people chase after a title instead of discovering who they are. I learned early on, I am a nurturer by nature. I am an advocate by nature. That is who I am. And so finding opportunities by which to do that come in the form of advocating what might have been for one of my kids becomes for all kids. So whenever I cross the doors of a school and I'm coming in for a situation for one of my children, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking about the other 900 plus kids that are in the building. Perhaps their parents can't be here. And so my situation with my child is only a reflection of what else might be going on. So when I come at a situation, it's always in the vein of, now I am a English speaker first, right? And so if somebody came in who didn't speak English, how would this go? What would this look like? Hmm. Or if mom and dad work second shift, when would they be able to come in? What accommodations are you making for people to be able to engage Those are some of the things that I think about when I'm coming in. If this is what's happening and my student is a high honor roll student and this is their experience, well, what's happening for those who might be on IEPs or 504 plans? And so I'm always cycling these questions inwardly as well as outwardly. It's not only about advocating for my child because my child has to grow up in a world with all of these children. Absolutely. So I want all these children to thrive because that promises my own child the best life, right? Exactly. So that's, for me, been always part of my setup for being able to volunteer at different levels, whether it was on site council, PTA. Right now, you know, I sit on the board. I'm co-chair for the Collaborative Partnership for 3D PhD. And that's a deeper dive into education and the supports around education and programming. I also sit on the board for Trillium Family Services, which is all about mental wellness. I mean, they're the number one pediatric provider for mental health. And so these opportunities are there because I've come to the table. I come 
wanting to know and wanting better for people because I look at and I see the potential in all of us. I also volunteer as a member of the crisis response team under the police bureau. One of the meetings that I attend is the Community Peace Collaborative through the city of Portland. We have a ton of different agency and organization inside of that meeting and being able to hear the cross-section of, well, you have this program and that program over there has kids that could benefit from your program and trying to continue to see those bridges being met so that, to me, if we are able to supply access to the community, to education, to opportunity, then maybe we're able to lessen the community violence. Yeah, yeah. I came on board with CRT because I know what it's like. TIP is the service that they called when we were out in Gresham when my son was murdered. And those volunteers are very instrumental in not so much keeping me calm, but I felt protected mm-hmm. as I went through a variety of emotions on scene. I felt supported. I didn't feel like people were trying to make me be quiet in my grief and in my trauma, but people understood that I was in trauma at that moment. We have the crisis response team and we are first responders. We show up when there's crisis and I wanted to be able to do that. I wanted to be able to support somebody in what could be and is the most awful Mm -hmm. of times in your life. And I also wanted to be able to advocate for folks. I wasn't able to see my son on scene. I waited for hours. They're going to take all their pictures because they don't want the crime scene disturbed. That's fine. But I also knew that once they picked him up and put him on a gurney, now the crime scene's disturbed. And you're going to now carry him off to the coroner's office. Okay, so I want to see him then. I want to hold my baby one last time. While I can still hold him, they told me I could go to the coroner's office. Well, the coroner's office is in Clackamas. En route to the coroner's office while I'm on 205, my number four son gets a call. He calls me, Mom, they're not going to let you see him. Well, that's crazy. I'm sure you misheard. Of course I'm going to see him. That's why we're heading out to the coroner's office. We drive out there anyway, and he says, no, Mom. They said they're not going to let you see him. I get to the coroner's office. I wait, and I wait. Mm. I don't know where they went. I never saw a car. I recall coming home, and I get in the shower. By now, it's after midnight, and I'm just bawling in the shower. And in my mind, I'm bouncing Was it really him? Maybe it's not him. Mm. Because you haven't seen him. Yeah, right. These thoughts jumping at me, telling me, well, maybe it's not him. I see him two days later out of the freezer. And my son has to tell me I can't pick him up at home. I'm like, yes, I can. I, I was thinking he was thinking like I wasn't strong enough to pick him up. He has to tell me, no, mommy, you can't pick him up. They've done an autopsy and he split down the back. Mm. You can't move him. So I laid across my son's chest. And that's how I got to see him. And that's just wrong. Right. I carried that boy for 42 weeks. Nobody should see their baby like that. Not when we can do differently. And so my reason for coming out as a crisis response volunteer is to make sure that doesn't happen to anybody else. I 
believe everybody, if they would like the opportunity to see their loved one, they should be able to see their loved one. Does volunteering and helping trigger anything for you? Have you ever just had to say, this is too close for me? You know, I've said before that I belong to this exclusive club that I would really like to shut the door on. Yeah, you don't want to be in that club. And so when we wind up gaining a new member, I'm saddened. I would not wish any of this on anyone. And I do mean anyone. And so I go to support families who have to walk this road out now. I hope that I communicate to them that they will be okay, that they might not think so right now. They may feel like hell has just shown up at their door. But I want them to know that not only will they survive this, they can thrive. And you're an example of that. I keep going. And I tell people, yeah, sometimes I just had to take a pause today. It was necessary. Learning when your body is signaling to you. Your mind might, your brain, your body, your muscles. Are you feeling achy like you got the flu? Take a pause. Take a pause. Take care of you. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn. And me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.